uh, this has been a, a crazy few weeks, and uh, but we're going to spend some time in prayer this morning. We're going to open God's Word together. We're going to share the Lord's Supper together, and uh, thank you so much for being here. Listen, if you're brand new or you've been coming for a while and you're interested in getting together with me for lunch or a cup of coffee to talk more about good news or get to know me a little bit better, Mark that on your card. You could just put lunch with the pastor. There's a little checkbox for that, both on the online one as well as the one that's in your seat backs in front of you. So if you're interested in that, you can mark that on your card. Put it in one of the boxes uh, in the back before you leave. We're going to keep going through 1 Peter, and we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, I'm just going to read three verses from 1 Peter 3, and, um, and then I'm going to pray. And then we'll jump in and study it together. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. This is God's word. Let's spend some time in prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Father, we thank you that you have given your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we thank you that you were willing at great cost to yourself to come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Holy Spirit, Thank you for coming forth from the Father and the Son. And, and Father, Son, Holy Spirit, help us this morning to be attentive to what you've spoken to us in your word. And Lord, encourage our hearts that we might be as a city set on a hill, that we might be as a light lifted up to showcase the greatness and the glory of Jesus. Jesus, that you would help us, frightened and fearful though we are, help us to be encouraged this morning to see all you've done for us, and in seeing who you are, we might have the opportunity to make you known to this community, all to the praise of your greatness and grace. We pray through Christ. Amen. So the people have a lot of questions about, you know, what goes on at church? What, what happens here? And you know, I was reminded of a little boy went to church with his grandfather for the first time. And the boy had so many questions about church. I mean, the whole service. He's asking his grandfather questions. Grandpa, why are they singing? Grandpa, what's an Ebenezer? Grandpa, What's this basket? And can we take money out or we only put money in? Grandpa, what's happening? And the grandfather was so patient. He answered all his grandson's questions. 
Well, then the pastor came up. And when he came up to the podium, he took off his watch. And he set it on the top of the podium. And the little boy said, Grandpa, what does that mean? The grandfather said, Son, that doesn't mean a darn thing. (laughs) People have questions. People have questions about what is the church? People have questions about what do you Christians do there? Listen, I would bet that when you left your neighborhoods this morning, you were one of the only cars that left the neighborhood. And if you do that consistently, people might talk. They might have questions. I wonder where they go on Sunday morning. Is there a special deal on Sunday morning somewhere that you always leave to go get gas or to go to the store? What's the story? What's the deal? People have questions. People have questions that really, really matter. You see, every person who's made in the image of God has questions that have to be answered in order to live a life that fits together. In fact, some of these questions are so important that if we don't have credible answers to these questions, we fall into such a despair that some people find life unlivable. If you turn in your studies to page... um, four and five, you'll see a little, a little map for, for what it means to grow in Christ. And you'll see under a, a, the build heading that a believer in Christ needs to understand five important questions about life. Who am I? Where do I belong? Why am I here? What would Jesus have me give? And then here's the fifth one, hope. Where am I going? You see, a Christian has hope. A Christian knows for certain where they are going. And I want you this morning to consider this, that you can always be ready to share the hope that is in you. You can always be ready to share the hope that is in you. Do you have hope? Listen, whatever measure of hope you have, if you're a Christian, I promise you, you have more hope than your non-Christian neighbors. Listen, I have been rereading this little book, Living Proof, by Jim Peterson. He was a missionary in Brazil and other parts of South America. He was a missionary with the Navigators, and he wrote this book, Living Proof, in the 80s. And as I went back and read this book again, I was blown away. He absolutely nails your neighbor. He absolutely nails the description of what it's like to live in the world today. And he wrote this in the 80s. Let's imagine for a moment you, as a child of the times, have given up on looking for religious answers to life. It just doesn't occur to you to think about God or Jesus Christ. You see them as part of the rubble 
of the crumbled institutions of previous generations. Life is important to you, but you've concluded that there is only 70 years of it and nothing beyond. The years have gone by. Today is your 40th birthday. That in itself represents a major crisis. You're no longer in your 30s. You're 40. Life is important. Since 70 years is all you have, you realize that 60% of your life is gone. It's time to reevaluate things. You look in the mirror, and sure enough, you're slipping. The hairline, the extra pounds, the little creases that promise wrinkles to come. Your two children are teenagers who have clearly communicated that they feel parents are an unnecessary complication in their lives. Your career is set. You know you'll never be very rich, very famous, or very influential. Now you've, gotten, you've just gotten up in the morning, and these are the first thoughts running through your mind. How are you going to react? You'll think, life is getting away from me. I've got to make the most of it. Enjoy it more. That's it. But how are you going to do that? How will this resolution make this day any different? Within your frame of reference, what is important? What is there to look forward to, to give yourself to? Not much. Perhaps a good cup of coffee, a walk in the park, an extramarital affair, whatever feels good to the senses. But whatever you do, it'll be accompanied by a sense of loss when you realize there is another day gone. That is your neighbor. That is your coworker. And maybe that's some of you sitting in this room right now. And if you'll stay with me this morning, Jesus Christ offers you hope. Jesus Christ offers you something big enough that if you'll take Jesus Christ into the very center of your life, He is worth living for and He can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Now, Peterson finishes this chapter. Projecting yourself one more time into our scenario, one question remains. What do you think it would take to awaken your interest in the Christian message, to induce you to go back and examine it, having already discarded it in an un, as an unimportant relic? What would it take for a ray of hope to penetrate the accumulated layers of disenchantment. What will it take for us to reach this community with the message of hope that is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ? What will it take? We have in the gospel a message of hope it's not just a little ray of sunshine. It is the sun in all of its glory crashing into darkened hearts and saying, Awaken, 
Rise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. The message of the gospel is true hope. It is living water for thirsty hearts. It is true food for starving souls. And the only question is, are you filling yourself with that hope? And are you preparing yourself to share that hope with others? Peterson has nailed us. Modern American people. Our neighbors, our co-workers, our teammates, our classmates. And the only question is, what are we going to do about it? Let's fill up with hope. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to answer three questions. And the three questions we're going to answer from this passage are, what is the hope that we have? Number two, what scares us from sharing it? And number three, how can we be ready? If we're always, we want to be ready, always be ready to share your hope. So what is the hope? What silences us? And how can we be ready? Now, what is our hope? Verse, chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. We're always to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in us. So what is the hope? The hope is Jesus. Jesus, the Lord. In the first century, for a Christian to stand up and to say, Jesus is God, would not have caused a riot. It wouldn't, even have, it wouldn't even have measured anything on the algorithm of the social media of the first century. No one would have noticed. Because no one cared if Jesus was a God because there were many gods. But when Christians in the first century stood up and said, Jesus is Lord. It broke the system. It broke the algorithm. It changed the world. And when Christians stood up and said, Jesus is Lord, the Roman world took notice. And when they saw the way they lived in light of the lordship of Jesus, and when they saw the way they were willing to suffer in light of the lordship of Jesus, they took notice. And they began to ask, what is the reason for the hope that is in you? And the hope that was in them was that Jesus 
risen from the dead, is Lord of everything. Abram Kuyper, in the early part of the 1900s, said this summary of the message of Christianity, and it's this. There is not one square inch of the entire universe upon which Jesus Christ cannot put his feet and say, this is mine. And that includes you. Now, every single one of us has a throne on our heart. Now, we live in World Golf Village, so of course our throne comes from Ikea. <laughs> there is a throne on every single one of our hearts, and we come into this world seated firmly with self on the throne of our hearts. We want it our way. And the world tells us you can have it your way. In fact, we have a scepter. Every king who reigns on a throne has a scepter. And we have one in our pockets. It can deliver to us whatever we want in an instant. And there is a religious version of the self-centered, self-enthroned man or woman. And that person says, I matter because I'm better than you. In fact, God is really lucky to have me on his team. And the religious person seated on the throne of his life Jesus may wander by one day and they'll say, Oh, Jesus, good to see you. Aren't you glad to have me on your team? And then there's the irreligious person. And the irreligious person, seated on the throne, says, I will have it my way now. And I will pursue whatever brings me fulfillment, whatever brings me happiness, whatever brings me significance, and I will keep pursuing it. And I will drink as deeply from the fountains of pleasures and all the things that this world offers. I will have it all. The Christian, the Christian is a person who, verse 15, sanctifies Christ as Lord in the heart. The Christian is the person who gets up off of the throne and allows Jesus Christ to have his rightful place on the throne of our hearts and we gladly, joyfully bow before the throne of Christ on our hearts and we say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because you have lived the life that I should have lived. And you died the death I deserve to die. And you rose again. And all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. And I gladly bow before you and say, you are Lord. And when men and women in our self-centered culture see Christians 
willing to submit to the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ in every area of life, they take notice. And they say, what is the reason for the hope that is in you? And the reason we give is the absolute authority of Jesus Christ over all of our life. You, dear sisters and brothers, have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Tim Keller, in his little, well, it's not so little, but his book, Hope in, in Times of Fear, says this, if you're looking at Christianity, start by looking at Jesus. His life, as it's shown to us in the Gospels, and especially at the resurrection. Don't begin, as modern people do, by asking yourself if Christianity fits who you are. If the resurrection happened, then there is a God who created you for himself, and ultimately, yes, Christianity fits you, whether you can see it now or not. If he's real and risen, then just like Paul, even though he had none of the answers to any of his questions, you'll have to say, what would you have me do, Lord? A Christian is, and a Christian is only a person who has received Christ as Lord, who says, yes, Lord, have your way in my life. Not my will, but yours be done. Maybe you're like Thomas. And you have so many questions and so many doubts. But Thomas, when he came face to face with the risen Christ, what did he say? My Lord and my Take a look at Jesus. Look at the glory of Jesus. And you will sing from the heart the great hymn of the 19th century. Crown him with many crowns. The Lord upon his throne. Hark! How the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of life who triumphed o'er the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. The only question before the house right now is this. Is it self on the throne of your life, or is it Christ on the throne of your life? Because at the end of the day and at the end of the life, the only question that will matter is that, is Christ Lord? 
If you've never received him as Lord, then receive him now. Say to him, Christ, by your life and your death and your resurrection, you have demonstrated to me that you are worth following with everything I've got. Follow him. Not as a wise teacher, but as a Lord risen from the dead. And crown him. Crown him, Lord, in your life. If Jesus is Lord, then what silences us? What silences us? What keeps us from making that confession to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, this passage gives us three things, and they're real. Listen, I've been at this a long time, and these things are just as real in my life today as they were when I was a 20-year-old college student and started following Jesus for the first moment. I was scared the first time I told my roommate about Jesus, and I'm still scared when I talk to my neighbor about Jesus. Listen, these things are real. The first is physical danger. Harm is the way Peter describes it. In verse 13, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Listen, we live in a world where more people have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ in the past century than in all the centuries that have preceded this one. We are living in times when it is more dangerous to follow Christ. The threat of physical harm is a real threat. The question is not whether we can be harmed. The question is, why have we not yet been harmed? The reality is that to follow Christ does put us in danger. What can give us confidence and hope to be willing to share Christ and his lordship over everything, even if it puts us in peril? The answer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A 12-year-old boy in Germany, a 12-year-old boy, in Germany, refused to join the Nazi party in his village. And the powers in his village said, don't you know we have the power to kill you? And that 12-year-old boy said, don't you know I have the power to die for Jesus? What gives us the ability to stand in the face of physical harm is the confidence that if we die, when we die, we'll change location but not companion. And the testimony of the early Christians as they lived well and died well was that this world was not the end of the story. Your Lord Jesus one day will make all things new and you will live with him forever in a perfect body on a perfect earth. And if that hope has moved into the center of your life, 
then no physical danger, no harm that can befall you can ultimately defeat your hope. No harm. Secondly, no fear. No fear. Even if we should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. So physical suffering. Secondly, emotional suffering. The sneer. Do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. Now you'll notice in this passage that that portion, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, you notice that that's capitalized? And that's an indication in the New American Standard translation that I read from, that's an indication that this passage is an Old Testament quote, and it's from Isaiah chapter 8. So let me read you the rest of that passage. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people. Same thing that Peter was calling the church to, God called Isaiah to. Saying, you are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. But to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, many will stumble over them, then they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. If Jesus has moved into the center of your life through faith in his person and his work, through faith in his life and his death and his resurrection, if that is the first importance in your life, then the fear of the Lord, the awe of all that he's done for you, can enable you to withstand the sneer to withstand the threats, to withstand the intimidation. The fear is real. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not dismissing the difficulty of standing up for Jesus. It's hard. But I'm asking you to consider if the greatness and glory of Jesus is not worthy and makes the harm and the fear less intimidating, less intimidating enough that we would be willing to break the sound barrier with our lost friends and neighbors. The third thing, not only the, the fear of harm and then the fear of the sneer, but third, the slander. In 1 Peter 3, we read this, Keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. The church of Jesus in the first century was slandered. People said, these people are 
atheists. Now, the reason they were accused of being atheists was because they proclaimed Jesus as Lord and not Caesar. Clearly, that's a slander. The, then they were accused not only of being atheists, then they were slandered and they were accused of being cannibals because they ate the body and drank the blood of Jesus in their sacred meal when they gathered on the first day of the week to worship and celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. They were slandered as atheists. They were slandered as cannibals. They were slandered as being incestuous because they called one another brothers and sisters and they even greeted one another with a holy, sanctified kiss. Slander. They were living the beautiful life. They were living the good life. They were living a life of hope and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. They were living a life feeding upon him spiritually, encouraging one another as they gathered together to remember the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and as they loved one another from the heart. Despite all their beautiful living, all their good behavior, they were still slandered and the church of Jesus is still slandered today. People will say all sorts of evil against you because of Jesus. They will. Make a comment on your social media about Jesus and see all the things that people accuse you of. And know this, it's okay. First of all, it's okay if you choose to not say something on social media about Jesus because there may be a strategy that's a little bit better than that. You could just maybe have your neighbor over for dinner. You could maybe take a coworker to lunch. And instead, ask them a question. Now, we're going to, this week, I want you, we're going to get to the third point, and that's this. Not only do we want to understand our hope. We want to understand why we're silent. Now we want to be ready for our defense. We want to be ready to share our hope. Now how do we do that? Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Now listen, there's a, a wrong way and a right way of doing this. The wrong way is to do it like Lucy. Lucy in this Peanuts cartoon Charlie Brown says, I hate having so many faults. I'd really like to be that person. I wonder what it would be like to know that you were perfect. And Lucy says, take it from me. It's a great feeling. Don't be like Lucy. You have a better story to tell than Lucy. It's not about your perfections. It's about the perfections of Jesus. Now, Charles Spurgeon says this, Have your doctrinal views and all your knowledge of Christ packed away in a handy form so that when people want to know what you believe, you can tell them. If they wish to know why you believe that you are saved, have your answer 
already in a few plain, simple sentences and in the gentlest and most modest spirit make your confession of faith to the praise and glory of God. Who knows? But what such good seed will bring forth an abundant harvest. Now we've tried to help you at Good News by doing two things. One, we share the gospel every week. And you say, oh, do you ever? Listen, the reason we share the gospel every week, number one, is because you need to hear the gospel every week because you've forgotten. Your hearts are leaky. And you need to hear about Jesus every week because for the past seven days you've been living in a world that's told you that you're the Lord of your life. So you need to be reminded of the greatness and glory of Jesus and the gospel. The second reason we share the gospel every week is because we expect that there's some people here who've never heard it. And we want you to be able to bring your friends so that they can hear the gospel. The third is because when you hear it, you're more confident to be able to share it with others. We've also taken the step of taking and putting in a booklet form the gospel for those that you work with and your neighbors and for your family members and your friends. There's a, a version of the Do You Know booklet for adults. And then Lisa put together a really helpful one for kids that's more relevant to them, but shares the same message of the gospel. And these are both available. And I would just urge you, we've provided what Spurgeon said you need to have, the gospel in a simple booklet, a simple form that you could share with anyone. But listen, how are you going to get to the place where you're able to do it with gentleness and reverence? The answer is when the gospel grips your own heart. And how will the gospel begin to grip your own heart? The gospel will begin to grip your own heart when you allow yourself to hear the message of the gospel again and again and again, that it's not your goodness, but Christ's goodness. It's not your good life. It's Christ's good life. It's not your work that makes you right with God. It's Christ's work for you. So I'd encourage you, take a Do You Know booklet this morning as you leave. And I'd encourage you to just take it and read it every day this week. I want you to get up in the morning and I'd like you to just read to yourself the message of the gospel the bad news and the good news, and to remember that you've rec received Christ Jesus, the Lord, as Savior and Lord. Remind yourself of the gospel. And when the gospel is sinking into your heart, you will have opportunity. And here's one way you can have that opportunity. John Lennox is a, is a very, very accomplished apologist. He's very smart. But he got to a point in his life where no one was ever asking him about his hope. No one ever initiated conversations with him. And so he said, what's with that? So he went to a friend and he said, well, have you ever asked someone else? He said, no, it never occurred to me. He said, well, maybe you should try it. And maybe we should. Listen, this week, fill yourself up with the gospel 
But then go to a friend, go to a coworker, go to a neighbor and ask them, do you have any hope? John Lennox did that on a train. He was riding a train and he noticed the person next to him and he struck up a conversation and in the course of the conversation he said, do you have any hope? And the man didn't know what to say. And he gave a few things and then he said, well, do you have hope? And John Lennox was then able to give a defense for the hope that was in him. But it started with taking the initiative not to tell, but to ask. So listen, this week, let's ask one person. Fill up with the gospel and then ask. Don't fear harm. Don't fear the fear. Don't fear the slander. But in awe of Jesus, say to a person, do you have hope? Let's pray. Jesus, oh, how we need. We need to fill up with the gospel. And, and we come now to this table to fill up with Jesus. Jesus, we need the hope of the gospel. We need the hope of your lordship over every area of life. And, and we have heard today that there is hope in you, that the best is yet to come. And Lord, if there's any here who have never transferred their trust from themselves as Lord of their life to you as Lord of their life, then I pray that you would be at work right now by your Holy Spirit, drawing them to admit to you, Jesus, I admit, you haven't taken lordship in my life. I've been going my own way. I've sinned against you in many ways, and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe that you lived for me, and you died for me, and you rose for me, and that proves your absolute authority to be Lord of my life. And I receive and rest upon you for salvation as you're offered in the gospel. And I invite you to be Savior and Lord in my life. Jesus, if you would give me strength, I'll follow you all the days of my life. And Jesus, all of us, all of us need at this table to feed upon you by faith, to be strengthened by you, to sup with you, to fellowship with you. All of us need you, Jesus. I pray that you'd strengthen your church. You have called us to live in this community at this time for a purpose. To make the glory of the gospel known. Lord, it scares us to death, but we can't deny the reality of the invitation to follow you and become fishers of men. So help us. We pray.